Thank you for joining us for a continuing study of the book of Hebrews here on the Radio Bible Course. We are on chapter 2, and the writer asks a question in verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Yesterday we began talking about why this salvation was so great, and we pointed out that it was great because it's of the Lord. God designed it, planned it, and he sent the Son to preach it and to finish it. And it's great because it establishes and sets forth the great principle of righteousness through faith, which is contrary to all of man's thinking, of course. Most of us were reared thinking that we had to behave properly in order to get to heaven and to get salvation, or perhaps if we begged God enough or did something sacrificial ourselves, then perhaps God would take a liking to us and be merciful. That's not the way God works. He established in the Old Testament that salvation would be through faith, by grace, and that he would save if men would believe him. God, you see, is looking for people who will believe him not do things for him. God can do anything he wants himself, but he cannot find very many people who will believe his promises. But when a man does believe, God will save. As one of my seminary professors used to say, God will save anybody who gives him the least excuse to do it. You see, God is more anxious to give us salvation than we are to get it. This great salvation, since it is obtained through the faith of the believer, cannot be merited, and that's another reason why it is so great. Whatever we get without merit, we of necessity get by grace. This great salvation is by the grace of God, which makes it a gift of necessity. Grace means something free, something unearned, something undeserved. It was free then, and it is free today, and it will be free tomorrow. Are you surprised at this? I was years ago, for religion had taught me that salvation was a reward for my labors. I guess I can look back and say I was brainwashed by religion. Now, the people who were teaching me those things were very sincere, but the problem was they too were brainwashed by religion, and they didn't study the Bible as much as they studied theology and their church doctrine. They were influenced more by the world of men than they were by the Word of God. I think you can identify with this, and I think you probably were told that those who tried the hardest would make it to heaven, and the rest of us were hopelessly lost. But then I heard the gospel of grace. It taught me that Christ died for my sins. He did what I could not do. He satisfied the holy law of God. He died by the law and to the law. He was buried and resurrected, and that resurrection was a proof that his sacrifice had been accepted by the Holy Father in heaven. And since God accepted his sacrifice, it meant that the payment for sinners was completed. Now that's good news, and it's good news that the gospel announced to everybody that Christ has died for your sins, therefore you don't have to die. He was buried and he rose again, and that's the proof that God had accepted the payment. 
That is good news. Now, it's not good news that Jesus died. It was bad news for him. But it's good news to us because it means we don't have to pay for our sins. If another paid, and he did, and God only demands one payment, what need is there for another payment? What could another payment or another sacrifice accomplish that Christ's sacrifice did not accomplish? No one would dare to say that Jesus Christ did not do enough to save us. I learned from the Catechism years ago why Jesus came into the world to save us from our sins. My problem was I never found anybody who believed it. But then I finally heard the gospel from other people, and they knew that you could know salvation by faith in Christ Jesus, and I too found that salvation. Now, this salvation is even greater by the fact that the Father not only gives it, but he also preserves it and keeps it. Where do we get that from? That comes from the Apostle Peter. He wrote it in his first epistle. In verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This salvation won't wrinkle or rust or tear, and it is protected, how? By God, not by a security system, but by the Father himself, and how is it protected? Through faith. That's Peter, and thank you, Peter, for giving us those words of comfort. This great salvation, think of it, it forgives us, it cleanses us, it gives us new life, it makes us heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and God gives to everyone who believes and has this salvation His Spirit, and the Spirit indwells us and is a guarantee of the inheritance. Now that is a great salvation. Now we go to verse 4 of chapter 2. The writer writes this, While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his own will. It tells us that God bore witness. How? By signs, by wonders, and miracles. Now, God is fully aware of man's need for proofs. We are all doubters at heart. We're skeptical about things. And so were people in the first century, when they heard Jesus and when they heard the apostles preach. Why should they listen to a man like the apostle Paul? How did they know that he came from God and had the message of God? Well, that's why God gave signs. In the book of Acts, we have Paul and Barnabas endorsed by God with signs that attested to his word. 
I'm sure there were people who didn't believe even after they saw the signs and the wonders, but nevertheless, God was confirming the message which they were preaching so that they could not have an excuse. Now listen to what happened in Acts chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. At Iconium, which is in the present country of Turkey, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews, who refused to believe, stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. Those signs and wonders were God's testimony that these men are messengers of God. Now, God did that in the first century. He's not doing it anymore. But remember, in the first century, they did not have the completed scriptures, which have stood the test of time as they have today. They didn't have much that we have today. So God today expects men to hear His word, which is written and published, and to rely upon it because it is the word of truth. It has been protected by the Spirit down through the ages so that we know what the apostles taught and we have the doctrines that came from those apostles who heard it from Jesus Christ. Now Jesus himself, we are told by John chapter 20 verse 30, performed signs to convince man that he was the Christ. Many still refuse to believe him, however. How will they escape? Well, Jesus told the Jews in John chapter 8, verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins, for you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. There was a definite need in the first century at the beginning of the Christian faith to confirm the message of the apostles. God knew it, and God gave the signs. And throughout the book of Acts, you see the apostles performing miracles to confirm the word which they were preaching. You find it in chapter 2 and verse 42, where the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, it tells us, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. In chapter 3, we have one of those amazing things being done, where Peter and John spoke to a cripple and said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And they took him by the right hand, and they helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Here's one of those signs to confirm that they were the messengers of Jesus Christ. In chapter 5, verse 12, we read about many signs and wonders. And in chapter 5, verse 16, it tells us that many were healed. Later in that chapter, it tells us about an angel who performed the sign. He set the apostles free from prison. In chapter 6, we are told that Stephen did great signs. And in chapter 9, Peter raised Dorcas from the dead. These are all signs. God performed miracles 
among the people, and God performed miracles among the Galatians, according to Galatians 3.5, to support the fact that faith alone was the way to God. No one received the Spirit or miracles by living by the law, but they did receive those things when they believed in Jesus Christ, and that's Paul's point in Galatians chapter 3. How did you receive the Spirit? Was it by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Well, miracles came the same way. It was a sign. Now, today we have the complete Word of God and the Spirit indwelling us. The believer in Jesus Christ needs no more proofs, nor does he need the witness of signs, because he has the inward witness of the Spirit, and that is far greater. Signs might be deceptive, but the inward voice is convincing. And Paul wrote that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. People who want proofs today often are not satisfied with the word of God. Oh, they say they believe the Word of God, and they carry Bibles to their meetings with them. But for some reason, the Word of God is not enough. Is it enough that God has promised eternal life to whoever believes in His Son? Many people are not sure that that is enough. For this reason, the Radio Bible Course has published Heaven's Password, a 46-page booklet which we will send to you to convince you what is the password to heaven? It's believe in Jesus Christ. Write for your free copy to date. Ask for Heaven's Password. Till tomorrow, this is Nick Calabota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.